Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to continue kind of in the thought process, the vein, if you will, of where we've been the last couple weeks. We initially talked about immunity and talked about what it means to not develop an avoidance of the things in the world and not a thing of, not a tolerance of the things in the world, but a resistance to. And we talked about when you have a strong immunity system, when you have a a strong immune system in a healthy body, the way that it functions is it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make you void of struggles, but it helps you resist the struggles. And um, so many times in the life of a believer, uh, we try to pray off challenges and pray off opposition, uh, but we found in God's word that God, Jesus, <clears throat> Peter, Paul, they all actually promised us that there would be trials, there would be afflictions, there would be tribulations. But what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen. We serve a God that has already overcome your problem. He's already, before you got in the mess that you got in, he already made a way out. Amen. Already made a way, made a way available to overcome and to see you through it. And so we, we started out there and um, uh, last week we spoke on what it means to be the church and to make a difference in the world. And um, I think it's so important that we recognize as believers uh, what our lives are really about. Um, God wants to bless you. God wants you to prosper. God wants your life uh, to be marked by blessing uh, and by prosperity and by living a, a full life to fruition. But we need to have a mission behind us. Uh, We need to have a fight within us. Uh, There's a verse in the word of God that says, when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? And um, so it's very important that we uh, remember that we have an agenda. Uh, We're not here just counting down the days until we disappear from this earth. Uh, We're definitely not here uh, as an escape plan or looking for an escape plan, but we are here to uh, bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And the second you do that, you mark yourself. uh, You know, simply put, there are some Christians, some believers that they pose no threat to the enemy. They pose no threat to darkness uh, because they're so interested internally and they're so buried within their churches. Remember, I read you that quote uh, last week. Let me see if I can run that down. Um. See if I can run that down. I really want to pull that back out. That it's important that we remember why we're here and what we are called to do. Believers, by and large, are so buried in their churches that they are invisible to the rest of the world. Believers, by and large, are so buried in their churches that they are invisible to the rest of the world. This is not what God called us to do. This is not how God called us to live. He called us to be light 
in the earth. You know, light is recognized when it gets in the middle of darkness. Did you know that darkness cannot overcome light? You cannot turn the darkness up so dark that the light goes out. No, light always wins. It's just a matter of if, it, if it's present. It's just a matter of how bright is your light. And so if we're going to be light of the world, if we're going to be salt in the earth, we've got to live with a different intentionality behind us. We've got to live mission-minded. Um, I was even just meeting with someone this morning, and uh, we were talking a little bit about what the apostles and Jesus' disciples, how they carried their lives, how they lived their lives. And, and uh, it didn't look so much like what we uh, see church and discipleship look like today, especially in the Americanized church. But, you know, they were fighting for their lives. Their lives were literally on the line. If, if I preach in the name of Jesus, they were told once in Acts chapter 4, uh, we're going to let you go. We're, we're going to let you walk. We don't have to, but we're going to let you go. Just don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, sirs, that's not something we can do. We, we cannot tell you that we're going to walk out of here and not preach in the name of Jesus. We're, we are uh, uh, compelled and commanded to spread the gospel, spread the good news, with their lives on the line, kept that mission before them. Not one of them died a natural death, except for the apostle John, and that's just because they couldn't kill him. They tried. They tried to boil him. They tried to, eventually they just had to stick him out on an island, and then he ends up receiving revelation from Jesus himself. But everybody else burned, tortured, heads lost, uh, just lost their lives in tortuous, drastic ways for the cause of the kingdom. And so uh, there's just a different way that we ought to live our lives, different way that we ought to hold ourselves in this earth and trying to bring some intentionality and urgency to what we are called to do. And even more so as the day draws near, as we get close to the finish line, sometimes that's where we want to let up and kind of coast a little bit. But as we get closer, we need to be pushing all the more uh, urgently for the coming of Christ. Look at this in Ephesians chapter five and verse one. And it reads, therefore, be imitators of God as dear and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And God, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not, do not be partakers, look at these two words, with them. Do not be partakers with them. Verse 8 goes on to say, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. That means if there is something acceptable to him, then there must be something that's unacceptable 
to him. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's amazing that this was written around 2,000 years ago, but seems to apply even more so today, even be more relevant today. And ultimately what the writer here, uh, Paul, is encouraging the church at Ephesus with is, is a lifestyle that bears fruit of repentance. A lifestyle that bears fruit of repentance. And the, the direction that I want to go in this evening is, is understanding that what we have been called out of and what we have been delivered from should no longer be actively practiced within our lives, that we cannot expect to change what we tolerate, that we cannot expect to change what we tolerate. Now, I'm going to get this out right off the bat so I won't have to make any more disclaimers for the rest of this service. I recognize we are all imperfect people. If you're perfect, leave. I ain't got nothing for you. (laughs) I know that I'm talking to individuals that, man, we all have a history. We all have a sin life or a sin nature that we have to put down day in and day out. And either we put it down or it will put us down. Either we learn to control it or it will take control of us. And it doesn't matter what your previous lifestyle. I remember, uh, you know, my, my testimony is actually very, very boring. There's, there's nothing to it, man. I, I was born in church. It's all I've ever known. Wanted to be in ministry since I was about four years old. Uh, knew that I was going to attend Bible school since I was about seven. Uh, went straight into ministry training, straight into ministry development. Uh, you know, I, I could, I don't know that I've missed consecutive Sundays probably more than three or four times in a row. Oh, you just sound so great, Pastor Mark. No, the, th- the issue is, is I was just as separated as a murderer, as a thief, uh, as a drug addict, as an adulterer, as a fornicator. I was just as separated from the moment I came into this earth as anybody else. It's not a measure of of, you know, God does not have a chart up in heaven of sins and which ones are worse and which ones aren't as bad and and who's done what and who's done this. It's either separated or in the kingdom. It's either you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you have committed uh, to living a life of fulfilling and advancing the kingdom of God through everything within you or uh, you know, you decide to be controlled by the things and the and the nature of sin and the nature of our carnal man and the, and the things of the world. That's it. Line drawn in the sand. You're on one side or the other, and so uh, it's it's not in recognizing how much we've been uh, uh, delivered from or how much that 
we partook of, if you will, before we came into the kingdom. But it's a matter of what God's grace and God's mercy and God's sacrifice through his son Jesus has paid the price that just the fact that I was born into this earth, just the fact that I was brought into this planet, I needed a savior. If you have existence in this world, there's only one of two people, people who know uh, Jesus as Lord or those who have, uh, or those who are in need of Jesus as Lord. That's it. We're the ones that categorize this stuff and try to, 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 to you know, what's worse and what's not as bad and, and how much have you done, but God doesn't have a measuring stick like that. It's one way or the other. So with that being said, we recognize that we're all striving towards perfection. And if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, that there is uh, an intentionality and an urgency that needs to be within our lives to put off the things of the world. Paul uh, even puts it this way, to put off the old man and take on or put on the new man. What's the old man? The old man is the old way of living. It's that carnal, sinful nature of the world, the lusts and its desires uh, and and the driving uh, passion to give into sinful things. The Bible even tells us that that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but in the way in the end, its way leads to death. Sin always pays out in death. That's its wage. So if you work for sin, uh, when you go to collect your check, that's what you receive, death, separation. But we have uh, received a greater glory. We've received a greater life. And so Paul is urging, this is a church now. He's not talking to brand new converts. He's talking to a church. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to a church here that's been founded for a little while, actually. And he's encouraging them back to the basics. And what he's saying is, is the way you live your life reflects the kingdom of God or reflects a kingdom of darkness. The way that you live your life, the way that you carry yourself tells us if you are about the mission of advancing the kingdom of God or just merely living life for yourself, living life for our selfish pleasures. And so he says things like, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. He says, do not be partakers with them. What he's saying is, is there are some things that we have that we should be separated from. Now notice here that this is not God's responsibility. Notice here that he doesn't put the responsibility on Jesus to separate you from those things. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has shed the blood. Jesus has made a way that you can uh, come into the kingdom. But now the letting go of and the partaking with, that's on us. That's the decision that we make. That's the decision that we make. It's up to me. It's my responsibility to number one, accept Jesus, make Jesus the Lord of my life. But now I have to put down things that I once used to allow myself to give into. I have to separate myself from a world that is going away from God and going away from his word. He said uh, there back up in verse eight, 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light. You are light in the Lord. So what does that mean? Walk as children of light. And then he says, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is impossible to live by if you are in the world. People that have not accepted Jesus as Lord, you cannot put on them the responsibility of walking in the fruit of the Spirit, can you? Absolutely not. Why do we expect the world to walk in love with with their brethren? How can we truly expect that? How can I expect uh, uh, someone that is lost and that does not know Jesus, has not come into the kingdom, does not have the Holy Spirit uh, living within them, uh, how can I expect them to have joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, goodness? I mean, the, the, the nine fruits of the Spirit that we know. It's called fruit of the Spirit. Fruit means uh, 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 this is the product that you get of being connected to something. And so we recognize that now that I am uh, uh, in the kingdom of God, I have to be intentional about disconnecting from the things of the world because what I'm connected to, I become. I said, what I'm connected to, I become. Jesus over in John chapter 15 made this very clear. He said, what? Abide in me. And my words abide in you. I am the vine. You are the branch. The branch is what? Connected to Jesus, the tree, the vine. By being connected to his word, that makes me a part of him and him a part of me. But if I don't, if there is a disconnect, if there's a disconnect, praying a prayer doesn't get me connected to the word. Praying a prayer doesn't get me connected to who he is. I'm telling you right now, praying a a salvation prayer will not help you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to put that out there. Sure, he comes in, he lives within you, but now you've got to connect to it. You ever seen someone uh, try to connect to one thing, but they won't disconnect from the other? And usually what they are still connected to keeps them from properly connecting to the next thing, the greater thing, the better thing. And so we've got to have this urgency, this intentionality to disconnect from the things of the world. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, this is how I reach them. This is how I witness to them. This, this is how, uh, uh, you know, I can affect them. Um, and, and, and the word of God gives us a very clear picture of whether or not you're witnessing to someone or you're becoming like them. It should be very identifiable that there's a separation. It should be very evident. It should be uh, uh, very easily recognized that I do not partake of what you partake. I'm telling you right now, Jesus did not have to partake of any sins to minister to any of the sinners that he ministered to. He didn't have to go get a tattoo. He didn't have to snort something. He didn't have to drink something. Well, he was in their house, but he's not partaking in sin with them. If I'm partaking in sin with you, how in the world do I expect to pull you out of the very thing (laughs) 
that I'm embodying in, in, in my life, in my actions. Now, I'm not going to say that your experience can't help someone else, but experience is, is not greater than the word of God. And with my sorry little testimony that I just gave you, I can help a drug addict. I can help a murderer. I can help a fornicator. I can help, and I don't have to have prior experience. This world looks for connection a lot of times. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've got something greater than experience. I don't have to come and say, man, I've been there before. I know just how, I don't have to. I can say, I know a, a, a God that loves you so much and has given you such a purpose that he actually paid the ultimate price for your life. And if you would hand it over to him, he can make something of you that you could never do on your own. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I thank God for those that have incredible testimonies. Sometimes I'm a little envious, a little jealous. It's like, man, that's incredible. God has done some incredible things in your life. And I'm just floored because I know that I serve a God that is a transformational God. And if you read this Bible long enough, you'll find up some, you'll, you'll find some jacked up, screwed up, messed up people that did some of the most incredible things for the kingdom of God. You'll find murderers in here. You'll find thieves in here. Uh, you, you, you'll find just absolute trash in here. And God found a way to turn their life around. And it's in the word of God. It's in the Bible. Incredible what God can do in the transformation process. But that transformation, he's saying it needs to become evident. Down in verse 15, he says, so then, or see then, that you walk. That word walk can be translated live. Live. See that you live circumspectly. That means in line, in alignment with the transformation that's taken place within you. I mean, we, if you go back to verse 1, he says, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, do you think that the Bible would ask us or put on us to do something that we weren't capable of doing? No. So if God is asking, ultimately God, this is the word of God, if he's asking us to be imitators of God, then it must be possible to be imitators of God. What kind of dirty trick would that be? Be imitators of God. Ha, gotcha, that's not possible. You'll never live up. No, I can, I can align my life in such a way that I can actually imitate the nature of God, the love of God, the desires of God. Last time I checked, we were made in the image and likeness of God. That's how he designed us to function. Look over in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If we're going to change the world, there's got to be a level of separation. There's got to be a level. We cannot change what we become. And in John chapter 17, in fact, I'm going to read this in the Amplified. Uh, Andre, I believe that you have it in the Amplified. You should. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 14. And on the screen, it should read this way. I have given and delivered to them your word. This is Jesus speaking. Your word, the message. And the world 
has hated them because they are not of the world. They do not belong to the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep and protect them from the evil one. We saw that in week one, that Jesus is actually praying here. Do you think God answers Jesus' prayers? Yeah. So he prayed, I'm not asking that you remove them, take them out of the world, but I do ask that you keep them from the evil one. That's that resistance. That's that immunity. We do not need to escape the world. How can I change what I escape from? Keep, I'm, I'm circling back to that every time. We are here to change the world. We are here to be a difference in the world. We're to here. We are here. And when I say the world, I'm talking about the, uh, you know, every system of the world, social systems, economic systems, government systems, and the people that make up those systems. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to disrupt stuff. Jesus came to shake things up. He came to change the world. And so he's saying that I'm not praying that you remove them, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, worldly or belonging to the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them. And this is what sanctify means, to purify, consecrate, Separate them for yourself. Make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The very thing that so many Christians are trying to get out of, God sent us into. I said, the very thing that so many believers are trying to get out of, we're finding here that God actually sent us into. I don't want to shake things up. No, you're there. You're there to disturb the peace. You're there to shake it up. You're there. And, And look, I'm not talking about jumping on tables, hooting and hollering, you know, getting signs and and doing all the crazy stuff that we see a lot of, you know, activist type roles doing. I'm talking about in your community, in your sphere of influence, there are ways that you can help people see and think a little differently. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it tomorrow. I dare you to respond in love to someone that is expecting you to respond in hatred. Watch what happens. It's amazing. I love watching people's faces when I apologize, when they're the ones that should be apologizing, and they know it. When I ask for forgiveness, when they're the ones that should be asking me for forgiveness, I love that. I love seeing their face. It's great. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God disrupting stuff. I love when, when bad news comes and it doesn't shake me and it doesn't move me and I'm calm and I remain steady. I remember I, I worked, at a, uh, worked at a bank down in St. Augustine, Florida. And um, I think from day one, I, I started at that bank, let's see, that would have been 2004. And from day one, I mean, I think the first week I was there, there were talks of us being bought out, shut down, 
clothes, all this weird stuff. And then 2008 hits and, you know, all that mess. And so it just seemed like the entire five years I was there, it was a constant cloud, a constant hovering of we're going to lose our jobs, don't know what's going to happen with this. And it's just amazing to see the conversations in the office, uh, you know, when something would happen. You know, we would get news or, uh, you know, somebody would hear some kind of word that we were getting bought out by so-and-so bank. and, And then, you know, it's all assumptions. None of it's true. You know, just people just looking for something to be anxious about. And I never get anxious. I remember one time I told them, you know, I said, if they came in and said, we're shut down today, pack your stuff and go home, I'd say, I'd be fine. What do you mean you'd be fine? What about a paycheck? And I just told them straight up, this place doesn't pay me. God pays me. And he uses this place. But if this place is removed from the equation, God knows how to get it to me. He's bigger than that. You just make a statement like that and you're a nut. You ever, you ever ask someone if you could pray for them and they turn you down? Pray, maybe, maybe they get sick. You know, it, it's amazing. You'll talk about healing and they'll laugh at you, but guess who they're coming to when they get a cancer report? Guess who they're coming to when, when, when their son or their daughter's going through something tragic? They're going to find the Christian. The question is, can they find the Christian? Can they find us? Can they find us in the room? Can they find us in the crowd? Can they find us in the marketplace? Can they find us at the games? Uh, or, as we read earlier, are we so buried that we're invisible? No, we're not, we're not meant to be invisible. We are meant to be recognized. We're meant to be visible. We're meant to be light in darkness. We cannot draw people out of what we are drawn into. We can't draw people out of what we are drawn into. And honestly, this is, a, this is an age-old issue that God's people have had. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the, the issue that God had with Israel is he would send them in to conquer a territory and to change that territory, and they would end up becoming like the territory around them. Y'all remember Samson? Samson was supposed to deliver his people from the Philistines, but instead... He ends up chasing down all the Philistine women and he ends up trying to impress the Philistines. God isn't calling us to impress the world. God's calling us to change the world. Why are we so cared with, why are we so uh, caring of how they think about us and what they think about us and what are they gonna say about this? No, no, no. They need to know who you are and what you bring to the table. And it doesn't matter if you can't change their situation now. There's gonna come a day where they're gonna need you. Can they find you? But if we are drawn into the very things that we are called to be drawn out of, we can't expect Uh, We can expect opposition. We can expect opposition when we take this position. When we stand for what is right, we can expect opposition from what is wrong. 
That's usually where a lot of believers back down. That's usually where a lot of, a lot of believers shut down is the resistance and the opposition. Maybe threats, maybe uh, uh, challenging, challenging our lifestyles. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are afraid that they aren't spiritual enough or righteous enough to be able to stand up for the things of God. Because what if they find out I'm just like them? What if they find out I struggle too? What if they find out that I'm not, I don't have it all together? What if they find out that I'm not perfect? This, these words aren't for a specific level of believer. If you're in the kingdom of God, now we defined on Sunday, if you, if you were with us, we talked about the difference between believers and disciples. What it means to press in beyond just the baseline Christianity, the baseline level of investment that what, what, what's the least I need to do to get in the door. Those kind of Christians aren't effective. Those kind of Christians don't change the world because they're really more interested with themselves than they are anybody around them. That's one of the most selfish ways that a Christian can live is saying, what's the least I can do? How close can I stay to the line without crossing over it? You know, what, what's gonna keep me out of heaven? Questions. You don't find any of the apostles or disciples engaged in that talk. You don't find it. They're not trying to toe the line. They're trying to, to find out how far away from the line can they get. But at the same time, it's not based on me. I, I, have, I have heard people say, I don't follow God because I saw this guy and he said he was a Christian, but then I saw him doing this. And I said, if you were, were placing your uh, uh, complete life and complete future on what another human being does or doesn't do, your trust is in the wrong place. It should be in God. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, because they had poor church experiences, they don't, they'll never go back to a church. And I get it. There's an expectation when you come to church that you want to be welcomed and you want to be loved and you want people to, to treat you a certain way. And, and the church has the responsibility to work hard towards that. But at the end of the day, it's between you and God. And you won't be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, I didn't go to that church because so-and-so wasn't nice to me. It won't work. No, we don't base our lifestyle or our our responsibility for what we do with our lives on what someone else does with their lives. Come on. Look in uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Talking about this idea of being separated from the things of the world so that we can change the world. I am not talking about uh, let's go and build and develop a city and a colony of just a bunch of Christians so we don't have to engage sinners at all. I know that there are some individuals, some uh, you know heretics and zealots that have gone that far, 
you know, in the past. Maybe there are some in our country now. I don't know. That they literally think that to be separated from the world, you cannot touch or be around them at all. No, God wants you right in the middle of them. God wants you right where they are. He wants you going to their schools. He wants you going to their communities. He wants you engaging uh, uh, in, 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 not in the practices and the lifestyles, but I mean, that's one thing I loved about Tim Tebow. We all loved it about Tim Tebow. I mean, Georgia fans love Tim Tebow. Georgia Christian, Christian Georgia fans, I guess I should specify. As long as he's not playing Georgia. Hey, look, he went in that environment, which really before him, whether it was college or uh, even NFL, and he never relinquished. He never stepped back. He never stepped down. He kept his witness. He kept his profession of faith. He's continued uh, even now. You know, now he's playing baseball. I mean, he's just moving right on through the sports industry, the entertainment industry, one that's not known for supporting the things of God, one that is, is not known for uh, people being outspoken and outright about the things of God. And then he's even taken it a step further. One reason why I really admire him is he works hard to live a certain lifestyle that is in alignment. Because I, I, I know some athletes right now that, that they'll call themselves Christians, but they'll cuss out referees and fight with other players and all this other, all this other mess, and it's not in alignment. But Tim Tebow is very careful to keep his life in alignment with the profession of faith that he claims. In John chapter 15, John chapter 15 in verse 18, I'm going to read this to you in the message translation. In the message it says, if you find the godless world is hating you, remember it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms, and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When that happens, remember this. Servants don't get better treatment than their masters. If they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. If they did what I told them, they will do, uh, they will do what you tell them. They're going to do all these things to you because of the way they treated me, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I hadn't come and told them all this in plain language, it wouldn't be so bad. As it is, they have no excuse. Hate me, hate my father, it's all the same. If I hadn't done what I have done among them, uh, works no one has ever done, they wouldn't be to blame. But they saw the God signs and hated anyway, both me and my father. Interesting, they have verified the truth of their own scriptures where it is written, they hated me for no good reason. Resistance and opposition and being challenged in our faith is no reason to back down from our faith. Resistance, opposition, and being challenged in our way of life and the way of life that God has called us to live, that, that is no excuse to back away. If anything, it gives us all the more reason to stand up for the things of God. All the more reason. 
to remain bold and steadfast in what God has brought us to. And I want to close out with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll look at verse 18. Start with verse 18. Romans chapter 8. I'm encouraging us tonight that our lives ought to be lived with intentionality and urgency. I do believe that much of what we've made the church about today in these last days, what we've made the goal really should be the byproduct. The things that we pursue uh, that the, the apostles and disciples and even what Jesus declared uh, we would see in our lives came as a result of being about the Father's business. And that we first and foremost make a priority of being missional in our life with Christ. Missional. You, you, would, you would have to work less on trying to overcome and defeat sin if you became missional about your life before other people. Does that make sense? That I, I wouldn't have to live my life away. How am I going to overcome this addiction? How am I going to put this down? But when I recognize what, what my what my job is, what my goal is, what my mission is, then as a byproduct, I say, I, I, I can't dabble in this. I can't, I can't deal with, I can't be living in this. I can't be doing that because there are other lives on the line. What other lives are on the line for how we're living our lives? What other lives are watching us that makes us responsible for putting certain things down? Romans chapter eight. In verse 18, in the New King James, it reads this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In essence, it means this, the world is waiting on us. The world is waiting on us, waiting on us to rise up, waiting on us to accept the challenge, waiting on us to be missional with our lives. They might not know it, but they're looking for us and they're waiting for us. For the creation was, subject, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also we will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of what? The children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I want to read this to you in the New Living. 
Same passage, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us, uh, give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Guys, at the end of the day, we have what the world needs. At the end of the day, they are waiting for us to take the lead. They will not see Jesus without us. They will not be delivered without us. They will not find freedom without us. That is why you and I are in the earth today. Let us not go about our days seeking to escape, seeking to get out, seeking to be free from the very thing that God has sent us into. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, thank you for finally getting me out. And he says, well, let's see what you did while you were there. We've got a purpose. We've got a plan. We've got the answer. The enemy cannot stop us. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We have already overcome the trials and the tribulations that come, the afflictions that we find. They're only but temporary, but we have been charged with a cause and with a purpose. You know, sometimes I feel like uh, David, when he was out there standing before Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Do we not have a purpose lying before us? It's easy to become inundated with our lives. It's easy to go about our routines. It's easy to get caught up uh, in the trials that we face. It's easy to even get caught up in the cares and the deceitfulness of the world. But at the end of the day, we have a, a purpose. We have a mission to advance the kingdom of God. And the, the, the oppression, the opposition, the darkness we see is only an indication that the world needs it. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.